trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. You know, one of the things I absolutely love about this gig is I never have the slightest clue how many people are actually listening. Oh, I know. My ego tells me, Brian, it's everybody. You may not know it. You can't see outside your studio. I don't have a window anymore. But as I understand it, at least according to my wishes, you know, the world grinds to a halt and people are hesitantly, you know, just kind of leaning towards their speaker and just, yes, yes, go on. Okay, I know it's not that way, but I'm glad you are part of my audience, and I welcome you, whether you're a longtime listener or a first-time, you know, a wrong thinker coming just to see if this is as crazy and unhinged as you may have heard. Hopefully, you'll find something of redeeming value. I'm actually going to start out with something just a little bit fun, just because I kind of needed a little bit of a break and I needed something funny. Okay, we all know that there is incredible offense sensitivity, and someone posted, <laughs> I, I don't know where this this clip came from. Uh, at first, I thought it was actually a legitimate clip because there are seriously laws on the books in the United Kingdom about, uh, you know, you cannot uh, make fun of things. You cannot use humor to try to make a point. That's considered a hate crime. And I mean, their their approach to hate speech is very, very aggressive. So what if you had to issue an apology And here we have a uh, police chief for the Scottish police force offering an apology. Now, to set this up, because you can't see the video, but you'll hear the audio. In every instance, he's apologizing to someone from the demographic he has just offended. Check this out. Uh, I'm delighted uh, to be joined by a member of the Chinese community as I uh, apologize for using the phrase uh, Chinese whispers. I appreciate that this is deeply offensive to the Chinese. Uh, I I completely understand why they went totally mental. I'm delighted uh, to be joined by a mental health campaigner to witness my apology for using the phrase they've gone mental. I can see some of you are surprised that I'm apologizing, but no. Gone were the days when getting an apology out of me was like getting a fiver out of an Aberdonian, eh? I would like to apologise to the largest (laughs) Aberdonian community, the Aberdonians. Uh, I do understand that uh, Aberdonian feelings are important. I'm surprised, actually, that our diversity officer didn't make that clear to me. Honestly, sometimes around here it's like the blind leading the blind. I would like to apologise to Scotland's blind community. I hear your concerns. And I promise you, they will not fall on deaf ears. I would like to apologise to the deaf community. I would like to say sorry. When I realised what I'd said, I honestly, I had a fit. I apologise unreservedly to all of the epileptics in Scotland for my use of the word fit. I, I completely understand why you've got a bee in your bonnet. I would like to apologise to anyone connected with bees or the wider bee community. Bees, indeed, are a vital part of society. I tried my best to get a statement that that wouldn't offend anyone. I I really did. But, you know, when when me and my advisors get together, honestly, it's like two bald men fighting over a comb. I would like to apologise to Scotland's bald community, of which I am a member. I would like to apologise and exonerate myself. Chief, I'm sorry. Chief, you're forgiven. 
I was particularly pleased with my final apology because I could uh, apologise and accept the apology at the same time. I do like to kill two birds with one stone. Uh-oh. I would like to apologise to the entire <laughs> avian community for my cruel and insensitive words. I think it illustrates the point uh, pretty well. You, I I guess I could throw a link to the video into the show notes at the com. but... Yeah, we're we're getting to that point. And and by the way, it looks like it m- represents multiple press conferences. Well, now I'd like to apologize for my earlier apology, which it turns out offended this group or that group. I really do miss the days when we weren't quite so unhinged. What, now I owe an apology? Okay. I don't think it's a stretch, actually, to say that a lot of folks are caught in the grasp of an authentic mania these days. And there's a terrific article from Paul Rosenberg that landed in my mailbox this morning, my email box, I should say, about the mania of 2021. I wanted to share this with you because chances are you recognize it as well. But if you're like me, you might be wondering, okay, but what can I do about it? I'm trying to remember the, uh, oh, there was, there was a Scottish, um, philosopher and I his name absolutely escapes me at the moment but he talked about how men go mad in herds but they return to their senses slowly and one at a time and right now that herd mentality is just dominant and heaven help you if you are out of step with the herd Paul Rosenberg says these are times that not only try men's souls but warp them He says, Westerners of our generations never believed that mass manias could reappear, but we're living through one right now. And he says, against my wishes, I feel a need to address it, not as a participant or a victim, but as an observer. Manias, which he defines as mass warpings of the human soul. Think about the Salem witch trials. That was a mass mania. He says, they're clearly not something we have outgrown. Now, granted, the mania of 2021 has required immense technological assistance. And so he says it may be that we have improved that only technological abuse could give rise to such a mania in our time. But here we are all the same. And he says, as for calling this a mania, I have no qualms using the term. Abdication of judgment is pandemic these days. Naked and open racism. We know you're bad because of the color of your skin is proclaimed loudly and defiantly. By the way, it's it's proclaimed by the uh, so-called anti-racists among us, kind of like the anti-fascists who go around acting like fascists in the name of fighting fascism. Yeah. Yeah. We're living in weird times. Secondly, he says there are group attacks on in dissenters. Now, this is generally through virtual rather than physical means, but they do occur continually. And he says they embody a level of sadism that I'd rather not describe. If you've ever read the comments section in in an online news journal or online uh, website, you know, where uh, opinions are being discussed or exchanged. It's pretty toxic. Then he says there are people who lose their jobs because they espouse the wrong opinion, even on trivial subjects. Still worse, millions have denied their own minds in order to retain their jobs. Biology is being directly attacked and denied and reality with it. And this is taking place even at the Olympics. I don't know if you noticed the uh, the uh, born as a male but now identifies as a female weightlifter. This was actually making pretty big news when 
this person did not qualify for a medal. Because a lot of people were thinking, oh, I thought I thought this person would be a, a, a ringer to, to score the medal. Not so. Now, Paul Rosenberg says, look, I could go on, but decrying the moment is not my purpose. I, I wish rather to explain it. So here's where he talks about the unmooring of the West, by which he means Western civilization. He says, for a long time, the people of the West have been unmoored from their traditional principles, cut away from them, left to drift in a raging storm of inputs. A book would be required to document this. So he says, I'll have to simplify greatly. But it's fair to say that this long development was horribly misdirected. Like every civilization, Western civilization had gaps, errors, and mistakes. But efforts to rip it apart over recent centuries, and especially the past half century or so, are of a terribly misguided nature. They were, in fact, vandalism on a grand scale. Because civilizations are to be improved, not wantonly ripped apart. Paul Rosenberg says, By dismembering a civilization, you tear up not only that which is fit to be replaced but also that which deserves to endure. And so the stabilizing elements of Western civilization were removed. And he's talking about things like balance, reasonableness, self-examination, the ability to stand alone and judge fairly, and tolerance. In their absence, we see rage, envy, lust for power, malice, and their many dark mutations. Now he says this present mania stands on this foundation. And at their root, the virtues of the West were attached to seeing as individuals, acting as individuals, and judging individuals. The present mania distinguishes distinguishes itself by seeing groups, acting as groups, and judging groups. Now he says, I've tried dancing around the word mob, but I really can't find an honest replacement for it. The fact is, when human psyches are warped, people do become mobs. Again, I'll have to simplify, but he says... You know, such is the present necessity. Lacking individual judgment, humans act as mobs, as flocks or herds. More than that, their directions are set by references to Satan figures. That is, they organize themselves around what they hate. And from that organizing principle, the rest follows. It's what's happened in the past, and it's happening right now. So, for instance, do you know someone who just, even though Trump hasn't been president for the better part of this year, still wakes up every day hating and bemoaning the fact that he even exists? That's the kind of thing he's talking about. We'll come back to this article right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out to my sponsors who make this program possible. Here's how they make it possible. They allow me to focus my effort on finding and sharing the best information that I can with truth seekers like you. 
So when I ask you, please pay attention. Go to the show notes page at thebrianheidshow.com and visit these sponsors. Even if you don't need their product or service at this moment, if you can at least let them know that their message is reaching you, that enables them to keep uh, funding me. And, and I'm not in this to get rich. I am in this because there is a message of truth that needs to be spoken. And, uh, and these are the folks who help me make that happen. They include MonticelloCollege.org. They include the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. And also, LifesavingFood.com. You should probably pay pretty close attention to LifesavingFood.com because right now is a very opportune time for people who want to become more self-reliant. And having a good supply of food that you know you can count on being there and being available and edible for the next 25 years, you know, assuming you're not storing it uh, out in the, the trunk of your car out in the hot summer. But uh, no, this is this is a great way to have peace of mind. And thoughtfully, Uncle Sugar has been sending us stimulus checks, which I know some people have taken to go buy guns and ammo, whatever it takes. I think that uh, the best thing that a person could spend stimulus money on even though the principal thing might be to send the check back. No, go spend it on things that allow you to tell government no. Anything that furthers your self-reliance is going to be a pretty safe bet. Lifesavingfood.com, that would be a really good bet as well. Okay, back to Paul Rosenberg's article, The Mania of 2021. And he talks about how lacking individual judgment, we tend to act like mobs, flocks or herds. And in order to do that, we have to have some kind of a Satan figure, uh, someone who is literally Satan, literally Hitler that we can hate. He points out it's no coincidence that two generations of intellectuals have been trained in criticism, deconstruction and their variants. They know almost nothing of building and repairing real things. So the mob is then focused upon shared hatreds as well as the power to destroy. Now, he says, we don't like to say that, and for good reason, but the facts are what they are. So this isn't to say that the souls of these people, which are presently warped, cannot come back to reason. Assuredly, they can. But the nature of manias is precisely that they bring humans into such states. Now, this mania, he says, is different from others because it's been driven technologically based upon an experimentally refined science of manipulation. And so there's a chance that it may run for an extended time. And even if it does unwind, as others have, holdouts may remain for many years. So presuming that this mania does crack and collapse, there will follow at some point a search for a cause, much as many have tried to find a cause for others. Now, leaving aside the root causes such as the above and the scientific cultivation of mass manipulation by people such as Edward Bernays, the present mania has a number of notable causes. Now, he lists off a few of these, but he says we should remember this is a preliminary list. The behind the scenes manipulations that played such a large role in this mania will not be seen clearly for some time. We may have a good idea of what they were, but we won't likely know precisely, and the actual facts may surprise us. So that said, the moment calls for at least a preliminary list of proximate causes. So he says, I'll give you one. Starting with the COVID response, the response of governments to the COVID-19 mini plague were far worse than the disease itself, which would have otherwise gone into the history books as a mundane little plague on the order of the flu of 1957. 
Instead, the perpetual human vulnerability to fear was targeted 24-7 with propaganda systems, tuned moment by moment to the most resonant frequencies, and then blasted at top volume. Now, perhaps there was a purposeful element to this, and perhaps it was simple power lust. But more than likely, it was both. Time will have to tell. Then it comes to covering up the errors. As we all know, 15 days to flatten the curve has turned into well over 15 months in many places. And the science has become nothing but the variable wishes of the powerful. So the first error, of course, was to create the virus, either by hubristic or malicious gain-of-function research, then, of course, its release. The second error was to lock down billions of human beings. The amount of damage done by this can barely be calculated but it very clearly includes a sickening number of deaths epitomized by locking old people into close quarters, but by no means stopping there. Also, a horrifying number of suicides, overwhelming amounts of emotional distress, tens of thousands of vaccine deaths, the trampling of rights, economic distortions whose effects may last for decades. So how does a power holder cover up such misdeeds? Well, first, by keeping the fear going. Frightened people don't ask pointed questions. They hunker down and try to stay alive. Secondly, by keeping one or more Satan figures as their focus. And as we all know, that role was laid upon Donald Trump. Now, whatever Mr. Trump's failings, the hate focused upon him was indeed a derangement. At present, a great deal of hate for Mr. Trump endures while new embodiments of evil are presented. Trump supporters, Caucasians, masculinity, people who believe in XX and XY sexual differentiation and so on. That brings us to binary vision, because humans have a weakness for binary divisions, us and them, and so on. This has turned into a sharp divide, perhaps nowhere seen more starkly than in the U.S. It's all too easy for humans, too, to see those on the opposite side of such a divide as a cartoon monster, rather than individuals worthy of toleration. And then there's defending one's errors. He says people who've fallen into things like sadism will avoid considering their error, for what I'm sure are obvious reasons. And so the powerful are providing a long string of excuses for doing so. In this way, human errors perpetuate themselves until the game cannot be continued for some reason or another, after which someone to blame for the whole of their collective errors may be sought. Now, social media, he has previously called a vampire parasite, and he says, I stand by that characterization. It has purposely and methodically addicted billions of people to itself, then abused them for power and profit. And over the past few years, social media, for whatever reasons, has whorishly joined itself to power in a full-blown Orwellian display of evil. He says, I have no less vulgar way to describe such obscene actions. History, if any honest history endures, will condemn this in the strongest terms, and rightly so. Also, we have frightened rulers. Here we lack sufficient data for clarity, but rulers who blather on about a great reset have clearly lost confidence in what they've been doing. Thriving systems don't need to be reset. So we can infer that the rulers of the West and beyond are in fear of their game collapsing, which led to a string of errors and abuses. So what now? Well, he says, what matters now, as the Bible recommends, is to speak the truth in love. We must call barbarity and sadism what they are, but for productive reasons and in productive ways. Many of us have multiple and valid reasons to be angry. But he says, acting from anger, however, is seldom helpful. 
At the end of the day, what we need is not justice, but improvement. That's not to say justice is meaningless. Rather, it's to say that we haven't the ability to gain both justice and improvement, and that of the two, improvement is the more necessary. However disappointing that may be, he says, I think that holds up as substantially correct. If so, our job is to speak the truth about what's happened, but with a clear goal in our minds, that of unwarping human souls. For this reason, he says, I recommend that we call group beatings sadistic, that we call racism evil, that we defend reality, that we call intolerance barbaric, but that we do this of necessity, not of anger. And we must always provide accessible pathways to reconciliation. For everyone's sake, he says, we must do these things and persist in doing them. Good luck to us all. What do you think? Is that too tall of an order? I know I feel anger when I look at some of the stuff that's going on. When I look at some of the things that others want to force on me, it ticks me off. But I think he's right. If our motivation isn't to bring about some kind of improvement, isn't to help bring people back into the light rather than just condemn them, then there's got to be something wrong with our motivation. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick word about uh, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I probably don't have to tell you that uh, one of the hottest real estate markets in the world right now is in the Intermountain West. And if you are one of the thousands of people relocating, particularly to Utah, you need to know about the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry, which means she clearly understands what the lenders need. She knows what the borrowers need. And the bottom line is she's the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. Homes don't stay on the market very long these days. Heather is the one who can help you with everything from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage has the stability and the clout to help you get the loan you need. Her NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. You can call 435-703-4522 or visit her office at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. So you probably see the growing divide in our society, right? I mean, that's not just a figment of my imagination, Would it surprise you if I were to suggest that we are in the process of seeing a kind of vaccine apartheid rolled out? I know that's a loaded term for a lot of people. Brian, apartheid was a very vicious separation of blacks and whites in South Africa, and it was just rude, and it was terrible, and it deserved to go away. Okay. No argument for me. I mean, we're talking about segregation, right? Segregation is uh, kind of a, it's a thumb in the nose, you know, at, uh, at the idea of equality before the law. One set of rules for this group, one set of rules for that group. But that's exactly what we are seeing play out in front of us. And here's the crazy thing about it. You have public figures like uh, Mayor de Blasio, Governor Cuomo in New York, actively 
agitating and trying to tell businesses like indoor dining, gyms, entertainment venues, you should be closed to the unvaccinated. I'm looking at an article right now from ZeroHedge.com. It says most of the Empire State's residents probably see the Delta variant as a nuisance. But we suspect Governor Andrew Cuomo sees it as an exciting opportunity because in a press conference that carried the whiff of his daily briefings from the depths of crisis last spring and summer, Governor Cuomo asked private businesses in the state to enter vaccine only admission. This is a direct quote from him. Private businesses, I am asking them and suggesting to them go to vaccine only admission. I believe it's in your business interest to run a vaccine only establishment. Isn't that interesting? And in an obviously political calculation, Cuomo made that statement just hours after the local press reported that Mayor Bill de Blasio is reluctant to impose another mask mandate on the people of New York City. Although the CDC has imposed a mandate of its own. Now, Cuomo, who managed to survive twin scandals involving lying about the number of deaths in New York State's nursing homes and sexually harassing a platoon of aides and wedding guests, by the way, he's he's paying pretty heavily for that right now in the news cycle, sees Delta as an opportunity to burnish his reputation as a leader. But, you know, one of the things that he may not be considering with this approach is if all private businesses were to adopt this policy, vaccinated only, unvaccinated people may have trouble buying food. And one in eight New Yorkers would be unable to shop, according to New York City's own Data. Tom Woods had a pretty big deal, had a pretty good take on this because and, and sadly, he correctly identified my first response as well. Pff, screw them. I'm not going to New York. I don't like New York anyway. But Tom Woods says not so fast. That's an inhumane response. And he's right when he points out, for one thing, there are plenty of New Yorkers who are not in a position to leave. They are people. They deserve normal human sympathy, not snooty superiority. So, okay, I'll back off on that one. But he says also, leaving out the politics, New York, at least in his opinion, is a wonderful place. Tom Wood says, I spent five years in Manhattan for graduate school. I visited dozens of times since then. I have so many friends there, so many places where I love to eat, so many cultural attractions that bring me joy. Many times in my life, I've been in a bad place and been rejuvenated by the energy of the city. And he says, it's going to be hard to give that up, but give it up, I will. Stipulating for the sake of argument that the vaccines are everything their supporters say they are, there is precisely zero reason for someone like me who's actually had COVID to take it. It's all downside. But he says, even if I'd been vaccinated, I wouldn't let myself be a part of a system that benefited me while oppressing other people. Wow. And by the way, there are updates in the uh, the Zero Hedge article about this. About Governor Cuomo's declaration, and it talks about, you know, the political leaders in California, New Jersey and elsewhere stepping up. Well, we're going to have to lock it down hard, too. The Zero Hedge article says so far, most New Yorkers haven't had a reason to carry around their vaccination cards. Remember that? They were warned, don't lose this. But pretty soon that's about to change. In keeping with Cuomo's strategy to deflect blame for the most onerous Delta-inspired measures. Now, Cuomo also added New York is the first state in the country 
to require hospital personnel to get vaccinated. They must get vaccinated. They aren't allowed to simply be tested on a regular basis. Last week, Mayor de Blasio ordered all city workers, including the NYPD, get vaccinated or face regular testing. Now Cuomo is ordering all MTA and Port Authority workers get vaccinated or face similarly similarly onerous testing regimes. They'll have until Labor Day to get vaccinated. And this is the insight into his reasoning. If you're a nurse and you're dealing with hundreds of people, you should be vaccinated, Cuomo said. Legally, he can only impose this on state-run hospitals, but he loudly proclaimed this policy should be spread to all hospital workers, including those run by New York City. Now, Cuomo added he believes teachers and healthcare workers should also be required to be vaccinated, but he acknowledged, well, that decision's up to local authorities. At one point, he said even masking might not be enough to protect school children, hinting at a possibility of another year of hybrid education. My daughter is currently in nursing school, studying to be a nurse, and she is one of the uh, individuals who has uh, chosen to abstain from the vaccination. Now, this isn't something she takes lightly, but boy, has it opened up the door and open up. It's opened up the door for abuse and it's opened her eyes to how this brings out the, the latent tyrant in some people. In fact, she was joking around. She sent me a picture earlier today. I don't think this is her her arm, but it's a tattoo of a little white rose. And if you're familiar with the story of Sophie Scholl, you'll understand. The White Rose Society openly defied Hitler. They published pamphlets. They, they delivered leaflets to people's homes. They, they sent things in the mail, urging their fellow citizens, stop supporting this madman. If necessary, sabotage the armaments that you're making in the in the factories and bring this awful war to a close. Because they knew at that point the the war was not winnable. It's a great study in heroism, but uh, my daughter says I'm really seriously considering getting a little white rose tattooed. And she sent me a picture this day and with it came the message. I was called a selfish grandma killer. Do you want to get one of these tattoos with me? <laughs> I'm not a believer in tattoos, but I'll tell you, if I was going to wear a tattoo, that would probably be the one. She says, whoever it was who confronted her, she just calls it the perpetrator, asked me why I wasn't vaccinated. And she says, I explained that I'm not comfortable with it yet, and I'm strangely unmotivated to be called a selfish grandma killer. And whoever she was talking to says, well, I agree with what your coworkers called you and anyone like you who's refused the vaccine so far. In fact, she said there's no place in healthcare for people like you. And then, of course, you know, throughout the, you know, I've watched seven people in my hall die from covid. Now, my daughter has worked as a CNA in the covid ward for, well, pretty much ever since the pandemic started. And so she says, I know, I work in ICU. I see people die from COVID all the time. So she says, needless to say, it's been a super tense and quiet shift so far. That really sucks. And I don't know what it is that brings out this idea that, well, we've got to castigate you. Can they prove? I mean, can they really show some proof? Oh, my goodness. You are typhoid, Mary, and you're actively bringing this this virus in. I don't think they can. I think it's just fear run amok along with that sadism that Paul Rosenberg was talking about. And maybe maybe they're right. Maybe there's no place in healthcare for people like my daughter. 
Isn't it strange, though? Just a few months ago, we were celebrating nurses and doctors and healthcare workers as heroes for their heroic efforts to help deal with the pandemic, to help those people who needed help. But now they're the ones stuck between a rock and a hard place. Get the jab or else. Who's standing up for them? Please tell me that someone is standing up for them. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Sometimes I feel like I'm walking that tightrope between... This is like therapy. I feel like I should be laying on a couch and just getting this all off my chest. I really do feel better about talking about it, but sometimes it it comes down to, am I just venting or am I giving you some useful information? I hope it's the latter. I hope that you're coming away with a better understanding of what's happening, what's at stake, and most importantly, what we can do. Because I don't think it's enough to just be passive bystanders. I don't think we should just... You know, well, I'm just going to withdraw from everything and uh, the world can go to hell without me. Trust me, I've wanted to do that from time to time. I really have. But I have this this weird notion that just will not lead me. And it's the idea that there is something, there's a work that I'm supposed to do. And it's something that I believe God gave me. And I'll use the word calling because I've talked to a lot of people who say they similar similarly feel a personal calling. And it's very unique. It's like a personal life mission. But, you know, this is something that I think God expects me to do. I believe that when my life is over, I will have to account to him for how I used not just my time in this life, but how I used the, the blessings that I was given, the, the abilities that I was able to develop the, the talents that God gave me and allowed me to work on and hone, I think that there will be an accountability for that. Now, I'm not saying that like it's a scary thing. I'm just saying I want to be able to face my maker with a clear conscience and say that I did the best I could. But it all starts with, with that uh, finding that there is something for me to do. And if you are one of those people who feels that similar calling, like I know there's something I should be doing too, I want to encourage you, keep after it. Number one thing you're going to need, humility. Because it takes humility to get on your knees and ask God, what would you have me do? Show me. Show me the way. And then when you are shown, don't be like, what? Really? No. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's scary. That's, that's beyond my comfort zone. It's taken me a long time to learn this, but man, I am convinced the best things that happen in our lives, the most meaningful things that we will encounter, more often than not are going to take place outside of our comfort zone. In fact, if you really want to become the best version of yourself, you've got to have difficulties. You've got to have discomfort. They're necessary ingredients. You don't, you don't become great in spite of them. <clears throat> you become great because of those things. So two quick articles I want to share. I'll just give you a couple of excerpts from each and then encourage you. Check these out in the show notes. One is from Cheryl Chumley, and it's titled The Two Americas, Collectivists versus Individualists. 
Now, maybe this will hit the right chord within you. She says, CNN just ran an opinion piece with the headline, Can You Do Something About Stubborn Unvaccinated People? Yes, you can. The New York Times ran a similarly themed opinion piece a few weeks earlier with this headline. Meet the four kinds of people holding us back. So did the Washington Post. Only harsher in tone. I'm tired of being nice to vaccine refusers, the writer complained just a few days ago. So the message is clear. The unvaccinated are to blame. But the oft unstated message, though, is just as clear, at least for those paying attention. And that is that America's pesky penchant for individualism is to blame. After all, a country that was truly steeped in collectivism wouldn't have this problem. Wouldn't have to deal with naysayers, with doubting Thomases, with critical thinkers, and questioning pains in the you-know-what, with rebels both with and without causes. A country that takes its marching orders from government, filled with citizens who are trained from day one to rely on, even pine for, dictates from their political overlords. See, a country like that, filled with citizens like this, simply obeys. They take the COVID-19 shot. They take the shot and move on. And nary a complaint is heard. Perhaps they're afraid of disappearing into the good night. Perhaps they're afraid of being arrested or shot. But in the end, no matter the reason, nary a complaint is heard. The good for the country is achieved. The good for the collective is done. It is finished. Yay, team government. But America's not like that. And she says the vaccinated are tearing at their hair roots, wondering why, how, and, and when America went so far off the rails that individuals would dare to exercise their own wills on vaccines. Because, after all, it's for the good of the country, for all of the country, for vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. And that's their line. And this is the line. If there were a line that could be drawn to show the precise crossing into America's complete demise then the mental figurings that form that accusatory and hostile argument against those who are reluctant to take the COVID-19 vaccine would be it. It's the crossing from individualism into collectivism. It's the cultural shift of the majority's consciousness from inherent belief in individual choice to one that defaults by nature into regard for the collective. For the good of society, according to government standards, for the greater good of the state. But here's the thing, it's not just the vaccine. It's first the vaccine, then another vaccine, then more big pharma tied health and safety mandates, then a universal basic income, then a loss of parental rights, then the loss of privacy and free assembly, then the loss of speech, then the loss of the Second Amendment, then whatever else may come. After all, if vaccine mandates are good for the health of you and me, all the more so the good riddance of guns, right? If private businesses can regulate who gets to work and shop versus who cannot, using the good for the public standards of health and safety, well, then the sky's the limit. Yes? See, the danger here is not the vaccine per se. The danger here is the loss of choice over the vaccine. Spot on. That's why people like me and others like my daughter are resisting because we understand it doesn't stop with the vaccine. The permanent demise of America comes when more people than not think, believe and angrily assert that the loss of choice is the patriotic proper way it should be. And Cheryl Chumley says that's when the collectivists know they've won the soul. And she says, think about it while you still can.
See all those labels we depended on before? Democrat, Republican, conservative, progressive, left, right, red, blue. They don't matter as much as the idea of it's the individual and respect for the individual rights of every individual rather than just the collective wants this. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. <laughs> I think the Borg may be the, uh, the best illustration of, of what we are up against because it represents that, that collectivist mindset that cannot brook any disagreement. All right, just a couple minutes left here. I want to share one quick thought with you from Carrie McDonald from the Foundation for Economic Education. As you know, back to school time is coming and the teachers unions are once again flexing their political muscle, this time on mandatory masking. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are as far as your kids, but I'm going to cut to the chase here in, in Carrie's article. She says, look, school mask mandates may anger many parents, but fortunately, there are now a wide variety of affordable, accessible education options available to them beyond their child's local school assignment. In fact, she writes about some of these learning possibilities in her new free ebook, The 2021 Curious Parents Guide to Education Options. There's a link right there in the article if you want to download that and read it for yourself. And yes, the article is included in today's show notes. These are the notes for August 3rd, 2021 at com. Here's the bottom line. Parents don't need to be beholden to powerful teachers unions and school district officials. They can resume control of their children's education from education bureaucrats and provide their kids with a top-notch education. So if you are experiencing some heartburn over the idea of, well, my kid's going back to school, but the teachers unions are calling for this mandatory mask requirement for staff and students pre-K through higher ed, but you don't want to be a part of it, maybe this is the time to free your children from the clutches of those teachers unions. Yeah, it's not an easy fix. It's not like, oh, well, that's that actually puts money back in my pocket. Nope. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. Probably will be harder than you even think. But I'm not going to ask you to dwell on the hardship part of it. I'm going to ask you to dwell on the the consideration of, is it worth it? Is it worth removing your children from the clutches of authoritarians who are fast moving towards totalitarians in the way they approach everything? I know how I would answer. How would you answer? That's all the time we have for today. Thanks again for being a part of our audience. Please do me the small favor of stopping by my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can actually become a patron or supporter of the program on a monthly basis. And please notice my sponsors. Give them a shout out. And if they have what you need, please do business with them. This is The Brian Hyde Show.